Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today we're joined by a gentleman who has made one of the largest career pivots uh, of any guest we've had on our show. Doc G was an internal medicine physician. He discovered the personal finance community through a book called The White Coat Investor. And since then, he's left clinical practice to pursue his passion for deep conversations about money and life. Uh, And his message is perfect for our audience. So, uh, Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm real excited for this conversation. Well, you, you, you have piqued my interest immediately because uh, usually someone who spends eight to ten years uh, and countless dollars uh, doing med school doesn't leave the practice of medicine or at least stays affiliated with medicine in some way, even if it's through getting an MBA and, and managing a hospital. So I, I guess tell us your story and a little bit about your medical career and, and I guess what inspired you to, to find personal finance and, and to make a change. I guess if you were going to start for me, you'd really have to start in childhood. When I was eight years old, my father died, and he was a prominent oncologist. And it was at that age where I wanted to be exactly like him. So I built in my head this idea that I was going to follow in my father's footsteps and be a doctor just like him. And that was no small thing. When I was a young kid, I had a learning disability. I had a lot of trouble learning how to read. I was behind my peers for many years, especially in elementary school. So this was a driving theme in my life. And as I got better at school and made my way to college and then medical school, this idea just became stronger. It became such a huge part of my identity. And it fit. I wanted to be like my dad. I was academic. I liked to study. I cared about people. I wanted to help the world. So this fit very naturally. And only as I began practicing, I remember a night in residency when I had a particularly bad night and one of my patients died. And it was the first questioning I ever really had of the profession. All of a sudden, I realized that this vision I had of what being a doctor was came into question. And as I went further and realized this practice of medicine, I found that there were definitely parts of it that didn't fit. And this identity that I had built around myself wasn't 100% true. There was some unhappiness. There were things about patient care I didn't enjoy. I certainly didn't enjoy some of the hours and the stresses that went along with this. But I was also at this point in my career where I was starting to be at that peak place in where you make the most money and where you realize that you're at the top of your profession. So I had this identity I had built up over all of these years. I was making money and I was supporting a family, but there were parts of me that definitely weren't happy. And I realized that I was sneaking away from medicine to write a blog, or I was developing my skills as a public speaker, and I was doing all this creative stuff 
but I always pushed it to the side. I always gave it only a small part of my time because I figured, well, you're not going to make a living doing that. That's not something you do as a main gig. It's more something you do on the side or for fun. You can't really build an identity around it, or at least that's what I told myself. And as time went on, I realized that medicine felt like it was fitting me less and less, but I also felt stuck because this is what I had built my profession and life up to be. And then I discovered this book called The White Coat Investor by Jim Dolly. And I read it within a few hours and realized immediately that I was something called financially independent. It meant that if I stopped working, I would have enough money probably to last me for the rest of my life. And you think this would have been a jubilant moment, a moment in which I celebrated, I realized I could separate myself from this profession that I no longer loved and go pursue other things that I was more passionate about, but instead it gave me a huge amount of anxiety. In fact, I started to really question, well, if I truly can walk away from medicine, which all of a sudden was a reality that I had never felt before, if I could do that, who would I be? If I no longer identified myself as a doctor, how would I feel about myself? And not only that, but how would my family and friends and community feel about me? Because it wasn't only me, they had all bought into this idea of who I was and who I made myself into. So that was a real turning point. And it took me a good few years even after that of intensive writing and thinking and talking to my wife and family about it. And I eventually decided that what I really wanted to do was pull back on medicine to try to leave that identity that I had built up around myself for so long and pursue other things that gave me more joy. I knew that I liked writing. I eventually found out that I really liked podcasting. I had been doing a bunch of public speaking. The art of communication was vastly more enjoyable to me. And when I did it, I felt more complete and whole. It's just before this, I had never figured I could do that for the majority of my time. It was only after I realized that I was financially free, that I had enough money, that I could pursue these things. And whether I made money or not didn't matter. I could just pursue them because they were joyful. And it was a real big turning point in my life. Doc, that's a... Um that's an amazing story, and, I, and, and there's about seven different uh, tangents we could go off on there, and, and so I'm going to start th- throwing some things at you because I, I really um, – I, I think a lot of people are going to identify with feeling trapped in a career, um, and, and it's intensely American to identify who we are with what we do, and that is not a worldwide phenomenon, but when someone asks, you know, tell me about yourself, the first darn thing we say is rarely – husband, father, dreamer, uh, a sports fan. It's, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a financial advisor. And for whatever reason, we, we tie our identities to that. And so the idea for you that you'd be losing your identity, how would people think of you? They thought of you as a doctor. They thought of you, and, and that felt like a, a prestigious thing, of course, as well. Um, but then talking about your, your dad, and this idea that now your identity would be separate from the identity that he had, that had to make this you know, infinitely more difficult for you. I mean, how, how much did that play a role, do you think? Oh, I think it played a huge role. I mean, you really laid it out perfectly. There was status, which gave me identity. There was money-making ability, 
which gave me identity. But then there was this deep, profound connection to a father figure who left me when I was eight years old. So it felt good to be seen as my father's son. It felt good that my family could look at me and say, well, dad died, but here you are, and you're pursuing his profession, and you're walking in his footsteps. And looking back, I realized that although becoming a physician has brought a huge number of blessings to my life, I mean, the things that I've experienced the ability to be part of people's lives and help, and then the financial security. I would never trade it for anything. But looking back, my 47-year-old self really thinks that maybe I was really never meant to be a doctor, that it was a path I took because I didn't have the courage to take other paths. Only now can I look back and say that. On the other hand, I don't think I could be as joyful where I am today if I hadn't done that first. So it's really a, it's a mixed blessing. It, it, it's you know it's interesting. We're we're contemporaries, so we're you know I'm I'm 48 years old, and and having a series of epiphanies. I've been doing what I do for 26 years and love it, but I'm also trying to to grow and evolve professionally, and and that led to podcasting and I, you know I'm writing my third book is coming out and all these kinds of things that are happening and and it's been a ton of fun um, I don't want to quit my so-called day job but I definitely want to make sure that I'm doing the things that give me as much joy as possible um, and you know the, the trigger for you it sounds like part of it was this identification that you were financially independent um, and we talk a lot on this show and, and, and in, in my practice with folks about how retirement is not the absence of work, it's the absence of needing to work. Um, and that if you're financially independent, it gives you a tremendous amount of freedom. And yet you describe something that I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe before, which is that the financial independence actually caused you a little bit of anxiety or angst or, or even made you feel more trapped. I've heard of folks trapped by their income. You know, this idea that the, the more you earn, the more status you have, the more you spend, it's kind of like running on a treadmill that gets steeper and faster and steeper and faster and you never get anywhere. But you phrased it in a very different and very unique way. It almost makes it sound like you felt threatened by or trapped by the independence of it, not necessarily the, the loss of the income from it. Can you, uh, can you, am I on the right track with that? I think you are. I mean, money to me in some senses is a great mirage, or maybe that's an oversimplification. Money is like oxygen. When you don't have enough, it's the only thing you can think about. But once you get to a certain amount, getting more doesn't really help you. And so for me, money became a mirage because it was such a concrete thing I could focus on. It allowed me not to do the harder work. And the harder work was, well, who are you? What are you about? What is your mark in this world? And what's going to make you content? And so I avoided those deeper, harder, tougher questions because it was much easier to say, well, you don't have enough money to do those things. You don't have enough money to go pursue writing or podcasting, things that maybe you could fail at, things that could be painful and hurtful because you're never going to make a living at that. You need to keep being a doctor, which you're highly successful at, because it's going to provide money. So when I realized I didn't need the money anymore, I had to do the hard stuff, like the really hard stuff. Making money is hard until it isn't. But figuring out your life 
deciding who you're going to be and then doing those scary things which are really in your heart but you're so afraid of failing at that that's anxiety provoking you you just said making money is hard until it isn't which i want to have on a t-shirt because <laughs> um, that is such a that is such a, a simple and brilliant concept that um, you know to compare financials to compare money to oxygen. You're absolutely right. We don't think about oxygen when we're breathing normally. We think about it when we're having a panic attack or there's something in the air or there's something wrong with our lung or whatever. And and so. That is really uh, an interesting way to, to encapsulate that. So you've started a podcast. You're doing a lot of writing. Tell us about that. Tell us about this current chapter, this current iteration of your uh, career slash life. Well, I realized early, and I was too afraid to face it, that what I really am is a communicator. I'm a storyteller. I like to get deeper into what's on people's minds and create stories and parables that help us understand those things. So that started with writing. And I started writing about medicine back probably in 2004 or 2005. I started a blog and I had been writing for a good 10 years about medicine before I started writing about personal finance. And the writing was quite enjoyable and I still love doing it, but I think I really found my heart with podcasting because getting behind the mic and especially interviewing people it's something i really enjoy and getting them to talk about what's difficult or getting them to talk about what nurtures them or makes them or what gives them identity and really delving in to me is like one of the most amazing things we can do and if you think about it when you have private conversations the ones that aren't taped and you're sitting there next to someone, maybe drinking coffee or a beer, and just getting into the essence of who they are or what their life's about. I mean, those are some of the most uplifting conversations. So I really enjoy this idea of taking those and then making them public, recording them and putting them out there for everyone else to hear. It's a real joy. And it I like to contrast it to being a doctor where Sunday night I would go to bed and I'd wake up early on Monday morning at three or four anxious and worried about all the things I had to do that day. And now I wake up on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Saturday because the day doesn't really matter anymore with this general excitement about the level of conversations I'm going to be able to have and the stories that I'm going to be able to create. And to me, it's such a different life because all that stress and anxiety is gone. In fact, if I have anxiety now, most of the anxiety is excitement type anxiety. Someone gave me this advice once when I was giving a public speech. They said, you know, all that anxiety you feel right before you're about to go out in front of the crowd instead of thinking of it as anxiety think about it as excitement like you're a little antsy and jumpy because you have this message you really are just ready to tell people and that's how i feel about my life right now it's like i sometimes do wake up with that anxiety but it's much more i can't wait to get at it and do what today has in store I, I felt that way this morning, knowing we were chatting. So it truly, I, I, you know, Fridays, I do a lot of the podcast interviews. And, and so we're doing four shows today, which is typical that we'll do that and record them. And I look forward to this in a profound way, I think for a lot of the same reasons you do, which is um, it, 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 there's enthusiasm, you're meeting new and interesting people, and you're really going deep into their lives and stories. And, and hopefully, 
hopefully some of the the wisdom and the experiences are transferable to listeners. Um, and certainly your story is very, um, first of all, you've been very transparent and personal with us, which I, which I very much appreciate. Uh, there's no sense doing it any other way, I think, but you've, you've done that. And secondly, um, I think a lot of this is transferable. There are people who are experiencing professionally what you are. Um, and this idea this idea that Sunday night the anxiety begins because Monday morning is something you dread, um, that's an awful way to go through life. And I think a lot of people do it. You know, and not just not just folks who, who maybe are in a, a job where they're paycheck to paycheck and feeling stuck for that reason. I think there are lots of folks at the higher end of the spectrum. And, I, you know, I look at lawyers. I don't know that many happy lawyers. I don't know about you. Um, <laughs> but, but, but think about it. Lawyers, what they sell most of the time is they sell time. So imagine the torture that comes with knowing every day when you wake up, if you spend even a half an hour daydreaming or writing or watching your favorite TV show, it's a half hour you could have been billing and therefore the opportunity cost is huge just to enjoy your lunch. Like I, I, I think that would be torture to live by the clock in that way. Um, and, and I'm certain that, that it's not only that field because certainly there are some lawyers who do very, very well for themselves professionally and financially and otherwise but I don't know how many are happy. So it sounds like you found a, um, you found your calling and you found your purpose. What would you say, and, and, and you know, this, this is a, the million dollar question, I guess. What would you say your mission has become in terms of turning this into, into impact for others? That's a good question. When I started these conversations, I wanted to take, especially the personal finance conversation, and take it away from the tactical. I feel like there's so many good podcasts and TV shows and radio shows that can tell you how to make money, how to invest money, how to you know, invest in a Roth IRA or what have you, but very few that talk to you about what do you do next. So I was always interested in that next level conversation about, okay, you've made money, now what? And what I wanted to do is create those conversations that helped people decide what the rest of their life looked like once they got that money conversation in place and they felt like they had some understanding of where their finances were. So my goal for impact is twofold. One is for the rest of the world and one is for myself. For the rest of the world, I'd like to create something that helps people take that next step after they figure out how to make money and build a creative, wonderful life. And if I can create those conversations that help them get there, that will be enough. When it comes to myself, I've actually changed it up a little bit. I've spent my whole life achieving things and building goals, getting to that goal, and then looking towards the next one. And I found that while that made me happy, especially younger in life, it's just like any other treadmill we get on that once you get to what you think is the peak, all of a sudden you look up and there's another mountain to climb. And I wanted to change the story a little bit and instead learn how to get excited by and be in the moment during the process as opposed to focusing so much on the product that comes of it. So making a podcast is a perfect example. The Earn and Invest podcast, my podcast, I'd love it to have more downloads. I'd love it to get to more people. I'd love it to be higher on the charts. 
But I'm at this point in my life where those type of goals are a little bit out of my hands and don't make me nearly as happy as what I'm trying to focus on, which is every day getting behind the mic, having a great conversation with someone and enjoying that moment, being right there and making the process central to my happiness. If I can enjoy those moments, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what the product looks like in the end, to me, that's what happiness now looks like. So that's my personal goal. We do spend a lot of time in our lives. I say we colloquially. Um, we spend a lot of time in our lives looking at metrics, looking at looking at graphs and charts, looking at that, as you say, the next mountain. And certainly in the financial uh, advising arena, that is a prevalent thing where you look at certain milestones or you look at certain benchmarks or all those kinds of things. Um, I, I'm, I'm completely with you that when you have a podcast, certainly you want to develop some listeners and you want to develop some fans. But I, I sometimes think about teachers. You know, teachers will say you're not going to reach every kid in the class, but you might change the life every year of one or two and really make a profound difference. And so I wonder if, um, if you and I are, are kindred spirits in the sense that we know that um, whether we have X listeners or 5X listeners, um, we're reaching somebody and somebody's taking something away from that and, and hopefully going on to find their mission and to figure out their passion and to, to decide what they want to be when they grow up. You know, why do we stop asking that of people when they're eight years old? What do you want to be when you grow up? And so, Doc, I'm going to ask you now. What do you want to be when you grow up? Because you still have, you know, half a dozen iterations in front of you if you want them. You know, it's funny. I think I'd answer that question, what do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be me. I mean, I spent so much time, especially as a kid and in my early professional life, trying to create a better me and now, instead of trying to create a better me, I'm just actually trying to understand myself better. Like, I think I already am enough. I already have enough. I already have accomplished enough. What I really think I want to be when I grow up is more me, a better me, <laughs> someone who's a little bit more truer to my intentions and is living my life more in a way that is fitting. And that was a big part of pulling back on medicine is it no longer fit me. It no longer felt a part of me. Now, I will tell you, I did hold on to one small aspect of medicine. As I was pulling away from being a doctor, I just started getting rid of all the things I didn't like. So I didn't like having my own practice, so I got rid of that. Then I didn't like working in nursing homes, so I got rid of that. Then I didn't like having weekend and night calls, so I got rid of those. What I was left with was an administrative role, very, very part-time, that I work in a hospice. And that still felt like me. What I was doing there helping people in the process of dying, helping nurses, chaplains, and social workers take care of those who are at end of life, that still felt like me. That was true to my intentions. That was true to even my dreams as a kid when I started this path. And so I'm trying to do the same thing with the rest of my life, subtracting those things that don't feel like me and holding on to those things that are true to who I think I am and what my intentions are. Doc, have you read Kubler-Ross? I've read parts of it, but not the whole thing. Um, you know, there was a, a speaker um, and, a, and a profound speaker, Sally Carrioth, years ago, um, who was integral in starting the nursing program at Florida State University. She was an amazing human. 
And she talked a lot about how in medicine, specifically in medicine, we don't talk to patients about about dying. Now, this was years ago. Maybe we're doing a better job now, but I get the sense that uh, we still don't really talk about what could be coming next. And, and you know, certainly as a, a financial and estate planner, I, we spend a lot of time talking about what happens next, but physicians a lot of times I think don't. It's almost like, uh, like if, if like if you acknowledge that someone could be dying, then you're somehow making that happen or you're not preventing it from happening. Is, is the death and dying conversation in medicine happening now? And it, it, has that transformed enough? I know hospice uh, certainly does that, but in other forms of medicine, is, that, is in an oncology department, is that something people really talk about or is that something that it's, no, we're going to beat this thing and don't worry about it? We're talking about it more than we were. So by no means are we perfect. But if you go back, for instance, to the 1980s and compare it to 2020, we're in a much better place. But all that being said and done, we still have a ways to go to bring the conversation almost full circle. What I've really come to, and I've had many, many, many conversations with people about dying. I've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about it. What we're really bad about is talking to people about how to live and then how to integrate that also into the dying process. You see, when I think it comes to dying, people forget dying is a moment and living is everything else. Uh, One of my favorite sayings is death is a period at the end of a sentence, not a quotation marks or parentheses. And what I mean by that is you die in a moment, but everything up to that is living. And so I think we do a crummy job of working those two together and we're getting better and we have more and more hospice services than we ever did, but it's certainly a work in progress. Well, one of the things that I think makes a a great financial advisor is having not just empathy, but having had some experiences. It's very difficult to talk to people about various life events until you've had them. And that's not to suggest you've had them all. Certainly everyone's life is very different. But um, it's difficult to tell people what it's going to be like to be married, for example, before you've been married or to be a parent before you've been a parent or even to buy a house before you've owned a house. You know, dying something none of us have ever done, presumably. Um, and so that means, you, you know, we've, we've had loved ones die. We've had uh, experiences with that, whether it's when we're very young or when we're adult people. But that's the kind of thing that none of us know what that's really going to be like, and no one can really tell us what it is. So what a, what a difficult conversation to have. And, and I think physicians do need to, to, and all of us need to, acknowledge the fact that we're finite, that there is a period at the end of our sentence, so to speak, um, and then make that sentence count. I, Doc, I love that, and, and I do appreciate that. So how can folks find your podcast and your writing and get in touch with you if they're interested in knowing more about what you do? So the easiest way is to find me at earnandinvest.com. That's earnandinvest.com. That is a hub for my podcast, for my writing, as well as some of my YouTube videos. The other place that's really easy to find us is there is a Facebook group called Earn and Invest where we have conversations very similar to the podcast, 
but also cover other aspects of life, the economy, even occasionally politics, although we're really careful with that. And that is at facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. So we love to see you in either of those places and just become part of the community we're really building around these topics of not just finances, but also life. That's fantastic. And I am going to check out your podcast. I'm going to check out your Facebook group. Um, we're at the point in the show where we need an extra credit assignment. We need uh, folks to, to walk away from this half hour or so with one nugget that they can use to, um, to, to live a better life. And, and so what would your extra credit assignment be um, for our listeners? Well, being that I was an academic and went to medical school, I, of course, loved extra credit and try to do as much of it as I possibly could. Here's what I tell you, and what I could probably distill most of my experiences down is you have to decide what you really want in life, what fits you, and then live intentionally. And I think that's it. And that's really, really hard. You have to decide what makes you tick, what interests you, what is your passion, who you are. And once you figure that out, start living by intention. Be the protagonist of your life. And if you use that as your guiding light, I think you'll turn out just fine. Sage advice, sir. Thank you so very much. Doc G, I appreciate you being on Don't Retire, Graduate. And I wish you incredible success with your podcast, your writing, your Facebook community, uh, and in living intentionally. I think that is a phenomenal message. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. For all our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and post comments and reviews. Don't Retire, Graduate is now a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats. For more information or to order your copy, go to brotmanmedia.com books or search for Eric Brotman on amazon.com. To learn more about BFG Financial Advisors, visit us on social media or at bfgfa.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.